Welcome to But Her Lyrics, the show where we delve into the meaning and politics behind the songs of artists you love or are about to discover right now. I'm Shauna Potter, singer and lyricist for War on Women, and your host. I have no songs about the environment. Isn't that strange? Because it's kind of a big deal, and it feels wrong not to have one, especially after interviewing this episode's guest, Rozzy. We recently discussed her song, Orange Skies, an autobiographical song that happens to be about the disaster that is man-made climate change. I think she's done a beautiful job of personalizing this this fucking crazy threat. <laughs> and I'm kind of jealous. I've just never found my angle, you know? I guess it's sort of felt like too big of an issue to distill into a three-minute punk song. But luckily, I'll also be chatting with Julia Nurbin this episode, an organizer focused on the intersections of climate change and racial justice. And she breaks it all down into smaller, more manageable pieces, thank goodness, and assures us that it's okay to start small. As always, listen through the end of the episode to hear the song in question. Patreon! Patreon! This episode's sponsors are First Defense Krav Maga in Virginia, love you guys, and Pupcakes and Postries. Their links are in the description of the show, and big shout out to my badass recruit, Melissa P. Sign up as a recruit on my Patreon, Rosie, with the scratching. There you go. Sign up as a recruit on my Patreon if you want an official sponsor shout out on the show. You'll also get a copy of my book for free and get to make random weird requests. Uh, so head to patreon.com slash Potter to see everything else you get at any of the six available support tiers. All right, I'm not going to waste any more time getting to it because we don't have any more time to waste. That's an environmentalism joke. <laughs> okay, here's my interview with Rozzy. Rosie, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having uh, me. For, uh, you know, this little podcast. I appreciate it. Tell, uh, introduce yourself to everybody. I'm Rosie. I'm an, I'm an artist, a singer, and a songwriter. And the deluxe version of my album just came out today. Yay! <laughs> you know, people will hear this after <laughs> it's come out, but that means no excuse. Grab it now. Days, months, whatever. It's been out. <laughs> <laughs> so grab it now. So the song we're talking about, uh, Orange Skies. Yes. This song is about wildfires in California getting worse as a result of climate change, uh, something you've personally been affected by because you live there. Yeah. What were the challenges to writing such a personal song on a topic this big? Totally. Um, I, think that it, I think that songs about such big concepts are the hardest songs to write. I find like the smaller the idea, the easier it is. And so, you know, it can be very daunting and it was very daunting. I remember the only reason I wrote it was because the skies, when I walked over to my friend Eric Leva's house, who I was writing with, the skies were literally orange. Mm. And it felt insane to write about anything else. Like it just felt like really crazy. So that's the only reason I decided to tackle that because exactly your point. It's just, it can be very hard to make something that big feel that small. So what I tried to do is really find the personal in the big because mm -hmm. 
big as an issue as climate change and wildfires is, it's actually just like a very personal, the real, the real problem here is how it's going to affect all of us on a very personal level. And so I really just did what I always do with songs, which is think of tiny little moments that mean a lot to me. Um, and so I tried to capture like all these little tiny vignettes, little intimate moments from my life in the Bay Area just to paint the picture of like a life and what, which, which is what we stand to lose. Basically. I was just trying to capture like my own little life growing up in San Francisco, some, some hyper Californian references maybe <laughs> but, yeah. uh, trying to really like capture that, that individualness of it and really try to make it clear that like, that's what we stand to lose without addressing climate change. I've seen images of those wildfires. Does it, compare at all to seeing it in real life that sky i mean yeah there's some photos that are pretty terrifying that i think give a similar feeling but the crazy thing about being there in person is like you can smell it and taste it and Uh. it's like when i walked to my friend's house after i got there i was like i probably shouldn't have been outside (laughs) like the air is it's 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 just surreal it's like um there's an energy in the air that like something is like incredibly wrong, you know, like that's, that's the, it feels very silent. Like, like I might be inventing this, but it feels like the birds disappear. Like it just feels really like eerie um, and haunting because, you know, fortunately knock on wood where I, where I actually live in Los Angeles wasn't in flames, but it was just this clear signal that something very close by was. I mean, speaking of haunting, um, <laughs> this song, I think, captures that feeling really well. Um, the The song is really stripped down. It's just piano and voice. And I don't think that's super unusual for you, right? But yeah. there is a a sadness and this this haunting feeling that is different from your other songs. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was the other thing, like with such a big concept, how do we convey the heaviness of it, like melodically and chord, you know, with the chords and everything and the, and the production, like you're saying. So Eric Leva, who, who produced it, um, we, we wrote it together. And the, and the version that's out is really just a demo we did from the day, that day. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you ever record a, a bigger version? No, oh, it, wow. it's, it, it wasn't even mixed. It's just oh because all of a sudden it was very timely to put it out. You know, all of a sudden it was like, this is happening again. Um, and then it was happening in San Francisco where I'm from is, is the year we put it out was a year later. It's like, I wrote it during the LA wildfires and then we put it out during the San Francisco ones, the Bay area ones. And, um, we didn't even really have time to rethink it. We just kind of went, we just put it out to raise some money. And, um, yeah, we definitely wanted, like, I think that like the, those melodies are like, spooky to me um that was on purpose for sure not in like a manipulative way just in a very honest way like it's really scary like I feel really afraid just personally afraid of of what these fires could do to people I love to places I love to me to our health to my future to the likelihood of being able to stay in California ever to having kids in general like the whole thing just you know it's it encapsulates a lot of my fear. So we tried to capture that in the in the writing and in the production, for sure. I would say that you did. You. <laughs> you absolutely did. Like, can you speak to any of the specific 
you know, melody decisions that you um, were making? Like, did you did you think like, oh, this this key is the creepiest key or, you know, anything no, like that? No, I wish I had a cool answer for you. I'm such an intuitive writer. Um, it's really all about like a feeling like that's such a cliche, I guess. But it really is. It's like I'm, I'm a little bit methodical with lyrics. Like I try and be really creative uh like in a, you know, like a songwritery way with my lyrics. But when it comes to chords and melodies, first of all, I'm just not as like, as, as probably as much of a music nerd as I'd need to be to do that successfully. But also it's, it's just not my, it's not part of my process. It's more like, does this feel like I feel? Well, no judgment because I'm in the exact same way. So yeah. no worries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it helps to have someone in the room that actually knows the names of the notes because um, that ain't me. Right. I do. I mean, I know the names, <laughs> but I don't think of them. The only song that I've ever chosen the key based on an emotion was a song I have called Bad Together. Same oh. writer, Eric Levin, I wrote that together. And I remember that day he Googled what is the saddest key. <laughs> and I think it's in – B flat or it's in D flat. I forget. But apparently one of those is the saddest key. But that's the only time I've ever done that. But that's like a fun writing prompt. Yeah. yeah, Like, okay, let's write a song that's like, I love that. I love that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love the line early in the song, um, laughing in the backseat of our own damn lives, whatever's coming won't be soon. Mm. And I love the way you sing it. I love the way it's spaced. And it puts this very relatable feeling of being young and just being pulled along by life, like totally Mm. unbothered, unfazed, not thinking about the future at all. Like, do I have that right? Is that what you were trying to convey? Yes. Basically, all those lyrics, those like early verse lyrics, um, what I see in my head is almost like I'm pressing fast forward and I'm watching this video of my life. Um, and so they're all real little moments. Um, mm. And early ones are, there's a lot, it's Bay Area and LA, like just from when I grew up in San Francisco and when I moved to Los Angeles and laughing the backs of our own damn lives. Exactly. Like you said, it's like, I, I remember being a teenager, you know, maybe kind of nervous in the backseat of someone's car, like maybe we're smoking weed, maybe I'm afraid to, you know, like, like just, and, and I, what was, what maybe may or may not come across is like coming from the Bay Area, a very liberal place. Like I, we knew about climate change. We had, I had been taught about it for as long as I can remember in science class. Like, right, right. That's whatever's coming won't be soon. We all believed in it. We all were like, climate change is coming and it's real. Like, no, none of us were blind or unaware or in denial, but there still was this kind of, and I wanted to capture that too. Like, there is an element of shame and guilt in that. Even if we all were that way, mm-hmm. like there isn't, even if I was 15 and it wasn't my job and there were plenty of, you know, leaders who, who have more blood on their hands, it is still, I mean, I, it's dark, but I still feel like whatever's coming won't be soon. We're just laughing in the back seat. Like we know where we're going, but we were just kids kind of letting it happen. And I think that eeriness in my worst hours comes to get me because I think about where we're headed as a planet and it's really terrifying and it's even worse that we knew, you know? So that's what I was trying to capture. It's a lot in one line, but. <laughs> but you do it, but you do it. Um, was there something specific that like radicalized you a little bit or made you more aware or was it just. No, I think, that, I think that's my point. It's like, I, there was, I can't remember when I learned about climate change because I always knew coming from San Francisco you know, growing up in like the 2000s, like we knew about it. It's the reason Orange Skies, it's like, that's when it starts to be in my backyard, it's happening. Mm -hmm. Like, 
oh, here we are, as expected, here it comes, you know? And, and so it's like, I'm not sure I was ever radicalized. It was more just like, okay, this is, now my life is affected. It's not just this theoretical thing. It's like, I breathe this air. That's when I step out of my own house. Proceeds from this song are being donated. Can you tell us about that, where they're going? Yes. Um, you know what? It's been so long. I know we did Red Cross and Sonoma Family Meals, I believe what the second one's called, but I just want to make sure I got that right because it's been it's been a couple of years since I've talked about this song. Yeah, we just wanted to try to do something. You know, I just was like, that's the whole point of putting the song out. And so we did, we did, I wanted to do one very local and one very major organization just mm, to, because mm-hmm. sometimes I don't really know what's going to work and what's not going to work. And so I just wanted to spread it out a little bit and give it like Sonoma, you know, I'm from, I guess that San Francisco, the Bay Area was really affected. I wanted the people from where I'm, my community to help them as much as possible. And then Red Cross is just so massive. I just thought kind of, it's like the two bookends of the spectrum. Switching gears a little bit, uh, your voice is quite resonant and on the deeper side. And if I'm being honest, it's not the voice I expected yeah. to come out of you visually. Um, do you get that a lot? Constantly. Okay. Yes. I Sorry. think it's one of the most, no, 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 it's okay. I, 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 I find it uh, flattering. I think a lot of my favorite singers, I think you could say the same thing, or if not, they look nothing like me. So I, I appreciate um, that sentiment, um, but I do hear it all the time. And it can be like almost a party trick sometimes if people don't know me <laughs> I and love I just am somewhere. I'm like, you know, it can be a fun party trick. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. What's my party trick? <laughs> Maybe like a rap. Like, um. <laughs> All right, Rezzy, well, tell people how to get in touch with you and let us know what you're up to in the yes. year 2023. So you can get in touch with me on all my social media. I will respond to your DMs on Instagram if you DM me at this is Rosie. <laughs> um, and my plans in 2023. Well, I just put out my deluxe album. It's called Berry. And it's the culmination. What kind of, of berry? Berry, like B E R R Y, like the okay. fruit. Yeah. With the, depending um, on the accent, you never totally, know. Totally, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Not the person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, the fruit, and um, it's a culmination of like honestly, I've been I've been working on and releasing this music for years. Like it's come out in pieces, and it's finally out in its entirety in the order I've always wanted it without on vinyl. It's the first vinyl I've ever done. And that just came oh, out congrats. in November. Thank you. And um, I have to say, I I actually just had a meeting with my management team and we have, and we we're discussing, I have a very um, specific idea that I'm obsessed with for my next record. So I'm about to go back Ooh. home to LA to write, to write it every day. And so hopefully, um, I mean, I will be playing shows. I'm playing a show in San Francisco in February, I know for sure. Um, And then hopefully some more shows throughout the year. But I I think more music uh, might be coming sooner than even I thought. (laughs) Exciting. That's awesome. All right, cool. Thank you so much for joining me, Razzie, for this interview. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk about the song with you. It's beautiful. People should go listen to it. And then of course, check out the show notes to see what else uh, we can learn or where we can donate. I mean, one thing I will say is just always vote with climate in mind. I feel Mm -hmm. like that's, that's, um, I'm not going to have numbers right now, but I know that your state and your federal or your I'm assuming, I don't know about other countries, but your state and your federal government spends more money than any nonprofit in the world. Mm. So 
they have more of an effect in, as, as far as I understand than anybody. So I would love to include some nonprofits that we can also support, of course. But every time you vote, um, I would keep the climate in the forefront. I certainly do. Thank you so much, Rosie. Thank you so much for having me. When I was a kid, way young, I lived in L.A. for a few years. And hearing Rozzy talk about the West Coast really brought back some memories, like getting a smog forecast every day along with the weather, or rushing to the nearest doorframe when an earthquake hit. And though I think I'm, I think I'm a little bit older than Rozzy, but when I was in school, I also remember learning about recycling or cutting up those six-pack rings, right? Um, and buying less plastic or taking shorter showers, as if this shit is down to the individual as if the power to reverse climate change was on each of us kids. But I still recycle. I still cut up the rings from a six pack. I don't think I'll stop because, well, it kind of helps me feel like I have a little bit of control in a seemingly out of control situation. Thankfully, my next guest assures me that it's not quite out of control yet we do have the power to reverse course, and it can start small. Interview time! Julia, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Please introduce yourself to everyone and tell them why the hell I invited you on the podcast today. Well, thanks for having me. So my name is Julia, and Julia Nurbin. I am a climate organizer in Minnesota. And for the past 10 years, I've been running social movement organizations, uh, trying to get people out and about and um, taking action on climate change and racial justice. And um, I like to talk about climate justice. So I've been involved in movements um, across the country to try to reduce fossil fuels and um, get both the government and also local communities to take action. That's amazing. Um, I want to start by asking, why should someone in middle America or Florida or the Northeast even care about some fires over in California? What's the big deal? Um, you know, I, I was thinking about this question a little earlier. And of course, the real question is, why do we care about anything that hurts somebody <laughs> that's not us, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty important question. I think that Americans need to be asking themselves today because it's certainly a pretty self-centered culture as yes. a general rule. Um, but, you know, I think about, you know, 2018, there were 103 people who were killed in California because of forest fires. And there were, I think, 25,000 structures that were impacted, maybe 18,000 homes that burned down. Wow. Um, and I don't know about you, but I saw some of those images coming across the news of people trying to outrun a fire with their vehicle and really literally running for their lives from um, this hellscape that was emerging there. And, um, you know, when we see those images as humans, right, we're sort of psychologically built to respond with empathy or with horror or, um, you know, people give money, people think to themselves, wow, that's incredibly uh, terrible. You know, what can I do to help that, you know, person in that truck running, outrunning the fire? Um, I think it's a little more difficult for people to see that fire in California as a symptom of something that's much, much larger, mm, um, mm -hmm. global climate change. And, um, 
you know, starting to think about the fact that actually maybe we do need to care about this, not just for that person in that truck or the person who lost their mother, uh, but also because, in fact, um, it's a early warning sign of, of the kinds of disasters that are coming fast and furious across the world. And we need to be um, thinking about that as the, the, at least, you know, in Minnesota, if I'm asleep in the middle of the night and my smoke alarm goes off, I wake up and I take action and adrenaline runs through my body. Um, you know, can we think about those fires in California like a smoke detector or a warning sign um, that will call, you know, call us to action so that we can make sure that the world that our children live in is something that's, you know, livable. Beautiful. Or still exists. <laughs> exists. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, Rosie's song is obviously about a, a personal experience, um, something that they witnessed. Uh, but to zoom out, how bad are things really? You know, they're super bad. <laughs> Not going to mince words. <laughs> um, you know, I started this 10 years ago and um, I I've been thinking about climate change for a lot longer than that, but professionally I've been talking with people and helping them sort of step into a powerful place of action for over a decade. And um, since then, things have gotten dramatically worse even in my short life. Um, right now in 2022 or in 2021, the United Nations has a report, it's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and they put a report out. They've done six reports now. And um, I'm going to actually open this document and read to you what the Secretary General of the United Nations said. Okay. Um, so he said, uh, this report that they did in 2021, where they're summarizing all of the information from scientists across the world on the sort of state of global warming. So your question, you know, how bad is it? Um, and he says, um, this report is a code red for humanity. The alarm bells are deafening and the evidence is in irrefutable. Greenhouse gas emissions from fossil fuel burning and deforestation are choking our planet and putting billions of people at immediate risk. And, um, you know, that was a sort of a more striking warning than we've had for a long time. I actually get very distressed by people who talk about, well, on average, the temperature will raise you know, 1.5 degrees or two degrees and people just think, oh, I don't mind, you know, 1.5 degrees is 2.3 degrees Fahrenheit. What's the difference between 90 and 93, right? Um, and I like people to think about, um, instead of thinking about an average temperature, like, you know, how would it impact you on a particular day? Think about your air conditioning that day. Yeah, it's not about that, right? No, not about the air conditioning, but like <laughs> how, um, like if your child had a fever of, um, you know, 99.5 versus 104, that would be the difference between life and death. And that are, those are the kinds of differences in temperatures that we're talking about as we think about um, what the UN is predicting. So if they're predicting that if we do everything that humans are able and prepared to do, that the temperature is still going to uh, be up 1.5 degrees um, Celsius, which is 2.3 degrees Fahrenheit by the middle of the century. Um, and they say, if we don't do anything at all, we're going to see uh three degrees Celsius or 5.4 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's, that's what they're, that's what they're talking about. Um, and 
And so if we think about that, like a, a child who is sick, it's very dramatic. Um, what that means, though, is that we are going to have temperatures in, for example, in India or in Pakistan that are in the you know, 120 degree range Fahrenheit. And those are temperatures that humans literally can't live under. Um, but we're also seeing floods and droughts and forest fires like the one that you described, you know, that are impacting people, um, you know, right now. So, you know, 33 million people were displaced in Pakistan this summer because of flooding. 33 million people. Wow. I know. It's just insane. Um, so it's really bad. What is the best way for an individual to affect change? Because like you talking about this, it obviously feels very overwhelming. Um, and I bet it's easy for a lot of people to say, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do? And it's easier to do nothing uh, than to actually grapple with the reality of this, our world trying to um, get rid of us because we are parasites. <laughs> yeah. What do we do? What can we do? That's right. I like to think of ourselves as, yeah, so, you know, the cool thing about humans and human brains, right, is we actually are great at solving problems. Um, we're very smart and we're very compassionate as people. And I think that there's, first thing to remember is there's been a concerted campaign to keep the public from knowing about climate change, yes. understanding its risk, et cetera, right? So same exact people who designed the campaign to try to convince people that not everybody agreed that smoking was bad, right? Have also designed the campaigns to um, convince us that, well, climate change, you know, yeah, maybe, but it's maybe it's just not a big deal sort of thing. So they've been doing this for decades. We know why climate change is happening. It's greenhouse gases that are coming from fossil fuels. Super clear. Everybody agrees. Um, and agriculture, cows fart out methane. I always like to see, think about all the cow farts. <laughs> we got to get rid of the cow farts. Go vegan, people. Uh, that's right. And we got, we got, you know, forests that are, as they burn, of course, um, it's hard to, uh, those trees are themselves carbon sinks, right? So when we burn the forests, we, uh, so anyway, a um, couple of things, climate change real, it's real, it's really serious, it's caused by us, we know what it's, it's coming from. It's happening right now. It's not something that's supposed, that's out 50, you know, 50 years in the future. Um, but the thing you need to know is that there's huge things that we can do in the next decade that will that will make a difference. And so right now we have seen the biggest climate bill in American history, which just passed this past summer in August. The it's called the Inflation Reduction Act, which is kind of a jargony thing. Um, but basically, three hundred and seventy billion dollars are being deployed in the U.S. to help communities and states and businesses combat climate change. Um, so right now is the time. Maybe give it four or five months. Start researching how you can become solarized, how you can get a heat pump, how you can do um, energy efficiency in your home, because that stuff is going to be basically free for people who have a little bit of capital to invest in it. Like you're going to invest a couple thousand dollars and then your heat bill will it'll like pay itself off in a couple of years. So in the States, in the middle of the year 2023, start looking into this. Start looking into this in the United States right away. Yep. Um, or in the middle of 20. Yeah. Because things right now are sort of being, the details are being worked out. All the agencies are trying to figure out how to give the money out and stuff like that. Um, but basically there's going to be tax breaks for good stuff, electric cars and solar panels and heat pumps and things that will reduce your carbon footprint. 
Um, so that's that's really cool. Um, I also think that you know we forget that actually just talking about climate change is a huge part of a movement for changing the status quo. Um, so there's this really cool study. You can look it up. It's called Global Warming Six Americas. Um, there's a guy at Yale, um, Anthony Lazarowitz, who puts this out. And he says that 70, he's, they've done research for years on like what is the perceptions of climate change or global warming amongst Americans. And he said 72% believe that global warming is happening. 66% report to be really worried about global warming. But only 35% of Americans discuss global warming, at least occasionally. And only 33% report to hearing about it in the media at least once a week. So we've got this huge gap between what people are feeling and what they know and Mm -hmm. what they talk about or what they hear about in the news. And in the middle of that gap is this total void of Netflix and you know, fun times, right? Um, And basically denial. Um, Although it's not denying that climate change exists. It's like people are like just living their lives and they're thinking about it only, you know, a very little amount. Um, So let's talk about it. We got to talk about it. We can't like respond to a smoke alarm unless there's a smoke alarm. So we need to like all together be thinking about this. Um, And then I think that um, we need to really think about this like, like you would think about trauma, right? If you get a cancer diagnosis, right? You may not be feeling sick that very day. Um, but if you know that you have stage four cancer, you're going to be filled with with fear. You're going to want to take action, right? Um, we don't want people to be traumatized about climate change, but we do want people to take action. And so if we don't think of it like something that is traumatizing people, we know that the first thing people do when they're traumatized is try to put it out of their mind. <laughs> Right. And we know that the things that help us respond to to I know you've done a lot of work in, you know, helping survivors. I I think that, you know, one of the first things that that you have to do if you've experienced trauma is to um, figure out how you can tell your story and put things on your own terms and sort of reclaim uh, your life. And I think that that's what people need to do if they like have heard that the world is ending, right? They're feeling this tension um, and they need to be able to get out and do things about it. Um, And I just love the work of this woman, Mary Piper, who wrote a book called The Green Boat. And she talks about how she and her buddies in Lincoln, Nebraska got together and, you know, they baked pies and they took them over to the um, Nebraska legislature and gave them to the lawmakers who were considering bills about global warming. Right. Wow. And so they got together, be joyful together. They got to they got to acknowledge that they were in this real crisis. But then they got to be, you know, hanging out, doing something fun, taking action, articulating what it was that needed to change in order for them to, you know, see a livable future. And so I think we can do that. We just need to we need to get together and figure out how to be with each other and, you know, create. I think that it was um Thomas Friedman said, like, if we had a million Noah's and a million arcs, we're not just trying to get one Noah's ark. We're trying to each one of us in our household or in our neighborhood, you know? So I think that's that's a big a big part of it. I also think something that's really helpful for people to get out of a crisis mode where they're freezing up and, you know, don't know what to do is is creating a plan. And so I like the idea that those folks you're talking about, uh, that author created a plan of like, okay, we're going to bake pies. 
We're going to give them to people. We're going to influence them. We're going to tell them what we want. Um, like taking action can, can feel very empowering, even if it seems small or can or is just pie, you know? Totally. Oh my God. And something else, right? People think that we have to convince the entire world, right? But actually there's all this research on social movements that says you only have to, to, influence like 3.5% of the people in your community in order to have a massive sea change in wow. like legislation, right? So we only need, if you were to imagine your school, for example, if there was a thousand people in it, can we get 35 of those people coming to regular weekly meetings? And then those 35 people each have, you know, 30 people that are in their networks and they're going to get those people out. And then once or twice a year, we're all going to come together at the state Capitol and like build the mass movement that we need, we know is necessary. That's great. Yeah. That, that makes it a lot more manageable and we can wrap our minds around it a little bit, uh, which is hard to do for something that seems just so big. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask, uh, are there any, you know, organizations that you want to shout out that you think are doing really good work, a place where our money, if we donate, is, you know, is really getting used properly? Um, any, any other resources, organizations, anything like that? Um, you can also tell me if you can't think of any, you can tell me and I can just put it in the show notes. Um, but anything else that you want to share with people? Totally. Well, I just want to say that one thing we haven't talked about is how this movement for climate justice intersects with other essential movements that are happening oh, yeah. on this planet today. So, you know, I work, I've been on the front lines of resisting the Line 3 pipeline. Um, also, part of that movement is this movement, uh, the missing and murdered Indigenous women yes. movement has grown out of the same circles, right? So as we think about climate change and the like, um, what many of my indigenous women friends have talked about, the literal rape of planet Earth, right? Um, and we think about the way that we treat the Earth as the same as the way we treat humans, right? It's, it is, um, again, you know, it's like heart-wrenching. Um, but I think that one of the things that we need to do, I mean, we need to do all those things that I just said, but we also need to remember that we can't allow people to divide our movements. Mm. So, you know, I live in Minneapolis where you know, I'm a mile from the sort of epicenter of the uprising here around the murder of George Floyd. And, you know, for us to say that police abolition or um, protecting women or, you know, the movement for black lives is different or the sort of understanding what's happened in terms of genocide in this country with with I know I'm opening up this whole other <laughs> Can of worms, which I will stop. But I would say follow organizations that are not trying to make uh, climate change like a single issue thing, but mm. but folks who are thinking about climate change as a integrated part of the movement to create a livable, um, equitable future for everybody. Um, and so, you know, there's there's this amazing um, uh, network that's coming out of the Gulf South. It's called. Um, Taproot Earth, and um, they're sort of connecting the the marginalization of um, Black and Brown people in Louisiana and around the world uh, with the the fight for climate justice. And so, following groups like that, um, you know, certainly the youth movements, Power Shift, Sunrise, um, you know, the young people. There's no question about whether climate change exists. It's like you know, the they're we're gonna vote out all these uh, folks who are making that even a question that we talk about. Yeah. 
So, but anyway, young people doing great work. Um, you know, I work a lot with Honor the Earth Native Organization. Um, and then, you know, I mean, my organization does work with the faith community and um, trying to get them in right relationship with climate change as a moral issue has been a powerful lever, I think. So if people are interested in how their religious denominations are um, or groups are, you know, engaging with this interfaith power and light, Minnesota interfaith power and light um, are great places to go. I have a lot of thoughts about that, where religion um, intersects with environmentalism that we do not have time for. <laughs> yes. Maybe is not the nicest uh, things to say. So I will keep my mouth shut for now. Um, yeah. But that's good work. That's important work that you're doing. The re religions are at the base of both all of the biggest problems and sometimes they sustain people through difficult times um, and help to provide a moral voice. So Figuring out what that complicated relationship is, is kind of the same as figuring out the complicated relationship between people mm. and each other. Um, anything else before we, before we say goodbye? I don't think so. You know, oh, I got to just send out my love to folks at 350.org, Sierra Club. There's a lot of great environmental organizations that really get the climate justice story as well. Where can people reach you and uh, what do you want to promote right now? Yeah, um, you can uh, find me. At, it's uh, Julia at MNIPL, MNIPL.org. And um, yeah, I just want everybody to go and find their their uh, their place in this movement. And don't feel like any action is too small. You got to start and you got to you got to talk about it. And then you got to wake up and do the next thing. And um, that's how we're going to make it happen together. That's lovely. That's a lovely place to end. Thank you so much, Julia, for joining me today. Oh, that was great. That was great. Thank you so much. Thank you to Julia for that informative interview. And again to Rosie for giving us a reason to talk about climate change. I guess that's my first small step, talking about this stuff. What's yours? I want to know. Keep listening to hear Rozzy's song, Orange Skies, and who knows, maybe some inspiration will strike. You can support this podcast by liking my YouTube channel and sharing, subscribing, and reviewing But Her Lyrics wherever you get your podcasts. It's free and it helps. To find episode transcripts or to find out more about what I do, my book, my trainings, my Patreon, head to shaunapotter.com. To learn about all things War on Women, head to our link tree at linkter.e slash war on women. All the links we mentioned in the interviews are in this episode's description. So check that out, see what you can do to help, and keep listening to hear Orange Skies by Rozzy.
Should be 